Welcome to Tone Benders. My name is Renee Coronado. With me today, it's Teresa Morrow. Hey, Teresa. Hey, Renee. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And also, Tim Muirhead. What's up, Tim? Uh, not too much right now. I'm just getting ready to settle in and listen to this episode because I'm really excited about it. Recently, Teresa and I went to Montreal and we were lucky enough to have Martin Pinsano, who is a friend of the show. He was a guest to talk about Dallas Buyers Club many years ago, one of our earlier guests. And he was nice enough to let us into his home when we were in Montreal. And we invited a bunch of other people who are based in Montreal who create sound effects libraries. And uh, we all sat down around the table, had some uh, nice beer and wine, and uh, kind of talked shop about what it's like to... Uh, put together sound libraries, release them, the tough parts, the fun parts, and uh, all of the parts that no one really talks about. So we just kind of went through the whole process. Uh, I believe the phrase is soup to nuts <laughs> from uh, deciding what you want to record, how you're going to record it right up to how to get the metadata in, how you're going to release it, methods of distribution. And I think that we had a really good time. Hopefully you can't tell how much of that beer and wine we imbibed by the time this interview is <laughs> over. But uh, Teresa, do you want to tell us about who we sat down with? Yeah, we were lucky enough to have uh, Stéphane Fufa-Dufour, whose company is articulatedsounds.com, uh, Michel Marchand, who is Bonson. So he's at bonson.ca, B-O-N-S-O-N. Uh, Martin Passano, as you mentioned, uh, who uh, I'll give you his web addresses too, martinpassano.com and sonomar.ca. And uh, finally, we had Melanie Gauthier, who is soundchickfx.com. She's great too. And uh, yeah, I was really uh, lucky to have all those guys all in one room. Yeah, they were all really great. They were super generous with their time. If you want to uh, find out anything about them, you can go to all those websites. You can find the links on the episode page on ToneBendersPodcast.com. And there's also a special awesome bonus with this one. All of these sound effects creators have set up uh, a download link through ToneBenders with special sound effects. So if you go to ToneBendersPodcast.com, find the episode page for this episode, at the bottom of that page, you will find a link and you will find 3.3 gig of awesome free sound effects that you can use in your projects. And it'll give you a flavor of what these uh, people are putting out. So you know uh, why they're the people that we reached out to when we were putting this episode together, because these sounds are awesome. Uh, Bonson.ca, I have their stomps library and it is amazing. I have the wings library and it's one of my favorite ones in the world. Yeah. Enjoy this conversation because it's a great one. We're sitting here at a table with a bunch of people who live and work in Montreal and have uh, recorded and put out their own sound effects libraries. So I think instead of me introducing you all, it would be best if maybe I throw it to you guys to introduce yourselves. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Stéphane. I'm sound designer and I'm the head of Articulated, a sound effects library venture. And is that your main thing? It is my main thing. I didn't have a really uh, a straight path into sound, but it's always been an intrinsic part of me. So um, I've been working in Montreal as sound designer for Warner Brother Game Montreal for a few months now. I'm doing this as a full time. And I have to say it's pretty fascinating to, to do this, but there are a lot of steps and obstacles that are really bound to this specific field. So next up, uh, Martin Pinsonot. 
Yes, so on my side, I've been recording sounds since almost when I started as a sound designer, actually, more than 20 years ago. So I've been recording sounds for the specific needs of the projects I was working on and also for myself. And it slowly became a sound library. And I have decided to have a, like a little web shop to sell a, some sound collections. So I started that in 2011. And since then, we're going, although it's not our primary, a job compared to you because we also do a lot of sound post-production so we have to go from one to the other so yeah we've been uh, spending a lot of time in the last few years to develop more sound collections and to make more emphasis on producing I'm Melanie Gauthier. I'm a sound field recordist and sound editor, sound designer. I study in uh, 3D infography. In uh, 1997, I went to a national film board because I, I thought I will work maybe, if I'm lucky, in the animation studio. But I stopped in the post-production picture editing and sound editing. And it was the beginning of digital editing, so I was at only 20 years old. So they asked me to install all the editing room, digital editing room. So I installed 25 rooms like that. And I did some presentation to the editor and, of course, sound editor. And I discovered all the world of sound. My job was join the sound editor to the final mix. So I learned a lot there. And I spent maybe around four years there. And after that, I quit because uh, it was too much uh, technical uh, <laughs> job and uh, organizing coordination. So I quit to do sound editing. And my first edit was a film about Cheetah in Namibi. And I know at the National Film Board, they have seven, eight weeks to do the job. And they asked me to do it in three, four days. And I realized the sound person didn't record ambience. So uh, I was mad about that. So a few months after that, the director and the producer asked me to join the team in the field to start to record sound. So it's where I start to make myself happier and I record a lot of sound ambience. This So I record sound since more than 15 years and in the same time I still working on the sound editing and in the last few years I edit more than I record because uh, it's like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I start to create my own sound library. It's ready, so it's Sound Chic Sound Effect Library. Hello, my name is Michel Marchand. I'm Chilean, but I'm living in Canada since 13 years. I started my career like a sound effects editor for TV commercials. I did that in Chile for five years, and after I left Chile, I went to Mexico. I did the same thing for five years in Mexico. I did more than 3,000. I was just going crazy with publicity, and I leave it. We choose to come to Canada with my wife. I say I have to change. I choose video games, and I start working in video games in, in that year. And I did 10 years working for video games here for a small company called Web Generation at that time. And the good thing with this company is we work with a lot of studios at Montreal that allowed me to know all the people here. It was cool. And already I, I saw there was a big community here for video games, and I really loved that. I really loved the interactivity, everything. It was a good time for me that 10 years. After I leave my job there and I start working for uh, Felix and Paul Studios, they do virtual reality and that was very exciting also, a new thing for me. Um, I learned a lot, everything was new, uh, nobody knows exactly what plugins to use, uh, everything was a new terrain to discover. 
I spent two years with the, these guys and it was a great time. And the studio that does the sound is called a Headspace Studio. Headspace Studio is the sound department for Felix and Paul Studios. And before that, just near that time, I wanted to create a company to sell sound effects because I feel it uh, was a part of me I wanted to explore uh, to be the chef of my company and create sounds that people can use. And also when I was working in video games, uh, I started seeing ah, these sounds that don't exist, we need this, etc. At that time, my first library was Wings. It was a big uh, success for me. I was really happy because I get some kind of recognition for the people. Uh, people love it, but it was very important for me because we work all the time, you know, in the small rooms. And that was the recognition that I guess I was looking for. And now I'm trying to create more some libraries, but it's complicated with two children, you know. <laughs> Plus, I'm freelancer for video games also. A lot of stuff to find time, but uh, I hope to continue with that. It seems like you found a lot of time because I've looked at your libraries, and you have a lot of files in them. Yeah, like yeah, the, yeah, the yeah. Stomps library has 8,500 I did all the edits at that time, and now I plan another library, but I would love to involve more people. But it was a lot of time working long hours until 9 with two kids, plus a full-time job was a heck of a job, but I'm happy with the results. Right now, I want to say that it's just crazy. All these uh, Sony libraries that come out in Sony FX or Sony's or whatever, no, or Martin libraries, it's just great. But it's hard to find the spot. Uh, what do you want to do? Someone else did it, or if you want to do something, you have to do a twist and have to be exciting, have to be... It's tough. It's tough to find uh, the room, but uh, I think uh, that pushes the limits for everyone. It's good for me, like a sound effects uh, editor, to find all these libraries. But at the same time, like content creator, is, is crazy just getting tough. But it, it's good. At the end, it's good. That's an interesting place to take off from, the idea of how to find the niches that need to be filled and what kind of libraries you want to produce. How have you guys gone about that so far? As a sound designer, first we have needs ourselves, so we can start with that as what we need might be what the other people need to. So it's a good bet to say, okay, what do I need? And I might need the same things than the other. So we have a look at that. One of the problems is as a freelancer, you're just by yourself in a small studio, but you have the same goals to achieve than the people that work in a bigger studio. So you need to have as good sound as all the studios. So it's a matter of trying to get as much sound as possible and to be able to respond to any request we might have because anytime we don't have a sound we, we have to find it basically yes. we can't yes. just say oh I don't have this one they're not gonna have the car pass there because <laughs> I don't have it so we need to fill these needs so we start there and about what you said Michelle it's like yeah we've got to find special products because the offer is so much higher now there's a lot of stuff available everywhere so we have to make sure that our our things are different than the others and that they offer something that no one else has and the quantity has to do with it too. Quantity, quality, the bar is high. You see a lot of things but in general it's high the bar. There are rock collections from an Italian guy and it sounds good and he uses a different microphone like not the typical microphone but sounds great, has character and like that there are a lot of libraries. It's inspiring but at the same time oh my god I did this, I have that idea. Okay, if you want to do it you have to do another twist you know or spend a lot of time and that's challenge for everyone here I think. I think it's a world full of possibilities because sound is like really infinite. You can record one sound one way but possible to record another way and to have different perspectives and use different mics. There's so many possibilities. And yeah you have the same subject but two different microphones and it's gonna sound completely different yeah. and from one place to the other. Yeah even the temperature, yeah, the weather, the, the season. The season. <laughs> Me I want to respond to my I'm doing 
doing documentary sound editing. So I need long length ambience because if you have one person and the film is one hour and a half and it's in the same place, you don't want to use always the same ambience or the same room tone and the same babies crying in the same minute. <laughs> so you don't have to loop the sound. So you need different sounds for that. And we have to record long length, five minutes, eight minutes on one way in the room and the other way in the back. You have to create sound from next door to cut and edit, make it more realistic. Because in documentary filming, you follow a person doing something and you don't keep all the sequence. Sometimes it's cut in other way. So the fridge is open in this way and the window is uh, <laughs> have a car outside in the other way. So you have to fill all the room with the sound. For me, it's mostly to respond to that problem I had when I am doing sound editing. So your website, is it general libraries, specific libraries? For me, it's sound recording I did since 1999. <laughs> so it's all around the world. It's not a specific, it's mostly by country. So I was not able to create pack or collection about just one subject. I start to identify all the sound three years ago. And I realized when I'm typing Africa, oh, okay, I can have three or 400 clips. Or India, same thing, because I went to Africa 12 times and India three times. So finally, I accumulate a lot of sound. But I will offer by unit because me, when I'm buying sound, I'm buying a lot of collection and pack, but sometimes I need just one ambience or one sound effect, very specific. And I want just to spend $5 and I don't want to spend $90 or $100 for the pack. The budget for documentary is more independent, so I don't have a lot of money to spend for one film if I need a sound. For content creators, I think it's not a good thing to sell the sounds by the unit. For sound editors, it's great because you can go, for example, pro sound effects is great. You just buy the sound you need. But us, we are so small. If you, for example, stomps, you sell at the unit, people are going to buy two sounds. It's good for them. Yeah. But, but at the beginning, it was not to make money. It yeah. was a dream to share the sound. Finally, yeah, I start to do it for real and I have a lot of expense. <laughs> Maybe in a few years, I need to make money to just pay the server yeah, and yeah. all the programming. But at the beginning, it was not like that. It was just for fun and share with people, love and like it. But yes, I understand. I'm, yeah. Maybe I'm not no. business. No, no. <laughs> so I'm trying to, in my case, I just want to have money to create yeah. more things and time right now and time. But you see yourself, you just buy the sound you need, that's okay. I mean, it's different markets. But yeah, but a lot of websites selling by pack and collection and mm -hmm. by unit, maybe less, I think. Yeah, I think Michelle is right about the content creation. If you create sound just for the sake of creating a sound pack, it's better to have a path to follow, have a theme and build around this theme. It's better to be more creative in a way. I've heard the collection of Melanie, it's really nice. They are really, really great. When we do a pack or a collection, you need to have enough of stuff to be able to be called a collection. And that's very difficult because whenever we start a collection, we actually start from zero and then we build it. But then we start to look at it and say, oh, Oh, that'd be good if we get this. Oh, it'd be good if we get that and this and that and this and that and this and that. And then we reach a point where we say, okay, it starts to look like a sound collection, but then no, we need to do more. As you said earlier, there's so much potential depending on the microphone, the texture, the humidity, the weather. It's so different so that we can always have more. And as a sound designer, when we need a sound, we need it now. So if we want to buy, if we have 
just one sound of something and we have a lot in occurrences in a film we might need a few of those and sometimes yes. to kind of have a collection of something then you say okay i'm gonna grab this collection boom then i'm gonna solve my problem in terms of sound edit but it's difficult to get to a point where the collection is full and it's a long process so that's why sometimes you say okay well we could sell it individually it's interesting as well i have a part in my project to sell collection but i know they exist a lot of website for that so maybe i can do something different but you could have the option i mean it's good to buy the unit but maybe you can say hey guys get yeah. the africa pack you know? it's in the plan i buy by unit and i buy by packs and i love buying packs yeah. uh, some more was an inspiration at least for me and Boom Library also from German. These guys are very good at metadata, sound, record. Everything is top-notch. We have good examples. When I first started doing sound editing, the whole idea of indie sound effects, it was not even a dream. It did not exist. And then as the internet came forward, there was in New Zealand, Tim Preble was one of the first people that I became aware of, and Frank Bree, who is pronounced Bree, not Bry. <laughs> and it kind of changed everybody's world because everybody was working with sound ideas and BBC. premiere edition. So I guess the fact that we're even having this conversation, it would blow our 2001 minds that either one was an option. And the idea that before you bought a giant library and now you can be like, well, this show, I've got a lot of fairies in it. I need something with wings. Oh, wait, there's an entire library of just wings. It's almost utopia for sound editors now. And I'm wondering if you guys have found, to circle back to the beginning of the question, when Frank, Bree, and Tim Preble were doing it, there wasn't a lot of competition. But in the last five years or so, there's a lot of people been getting in the game. But there's also been the aggregate websites, like a sound effect. That's a really good point, because I forget to mention Tim Preble. We all were checking his blog, The Music of Sound. I remember we talked a lot with Martin about him, because he was open posting, it was very inspiring for everyone. And he started the, the libraries. I think he started getting recognition and he started motivating other people. Oh, I can do this, I can do this. And right now it's just, everyone can do it, but it's part of the game, you know, and we are all getting good things. The thing is though, not everyone can do it. You know what I mean? <laughs> but, and I don't mean that as an insult. I mean, it's not just, I got a microphone and I got a recorder, let's go get a sound. It's a business. You have to get the server going. You have to organize the website to get people to find it. You have to do promotion. To get done properly stuff. And Martin, you can say that. It's a lot of work but for it's it. becoming more and more easy with technology and there are tools to facilitate. I see a lot of new sound designer that's coming up with interesting sound libraries and I see also the scale of sound libraries that is shrinking. It's kind of a trend. I don't know if it will go more like this in a few years, but I see a lot of mini sound libraries. Mini packs. It does good the mini packs. Yeah, it's an interesting place to feel because there was a lot of single sounds Stuff. Or small packages with less sound. So yeah, it's, it's like in, in between the big sound libraries with a lot of sounds and the one where you choose just one single sound. So it fills this need, but I'm not sure exactly if it's sustainable to do this. The fact that all of this is happening on the internet actually makes it available for anybody to see. So it kind of changes the game. You can see everything that the others have been doing and how they did it. So you can see, oh, he did this for this store. Oh, 
always doing this, always doing that. We have all access to this now, so it accelerates the advancement. You see it, you say, oh, if he did this, I can do it, me too. And of course, I think we can all do it. It's just very difficult. That's what you kind of yeah, uh, first exactly, uh, yeah. said. It's very difficult because it's a combination of a lot of things to be able to have some kind of success. So that's what makes it difficult. And when it goes fast, like when I started a few years ago, these guys were there and a few others, but now it's everywhere. And you know, Paul uh, Verostek, we talked mm -hmm. about him earlier. He started to make some web pages about how to yeah. do sound effects, yeah, how, to do, how to do, how to sell it, <laughs> how to do the I, metadata, I what to use. It's like, <laughs> but uh, the idea is that he brought this on the internet, how to do it. So everybody knows now because he told everybody, it's okay, it's great. I love that idea. So that's actually one of the reasons why there are a lot now. It's not hidden how to do it. We have access now with the internet. But knowing how to do it and actually following through and putting in the work. You were saying your website to get it launched, this was not an overnight endeavor. No, I dreamed to do this 18 years ago. And I, I thought about that all the time. I need people just give me a hand on my shoulder and said, oh, you have a nice ID, go for it. But nobody said that to me for all that time. So three years ago, I decided to start to do it because of all Martin just said about many people are doing it now and they look like they do it very easily. And for me, it was very hard to start. So I realized I just need to start. And when I started, finally, <laughs> many people around me said, oh, nice, good. It's a good idea. I didn't know you do. So finally, I realized I just have to do it and don't care. <laughs> I'm working in the same time as a sound recordist and a sound editor and it's taking a long hour to do it, but I'm coming. <laughs> My website is ready since one year, but I don't have enough sound upload on the server. So I want to have an impact at first because I, I want people to come back and to listen and yeah, enjoy it. If I don't have enough sound when I open the shop, it's yeah. not good. Yeah, you want good initial impression. Yeah, but finally, I decide to start it by maybe 5,000 sound, and after that, I will add more. 5,000 is a big number to start I with. I think that's good. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah, but it's by unit. <laughs> don't do it, don't do it. <laughs> so you're the only one doing it full-time, right? Mm -hmm. How has that been going for you? So, yeah, it's been maybe more than one year that I started doing this and I got really hooked. I've been starting recording three years ago, but I didn't stop since then. And the feedbacks I got from other sound designers and this really stimulated me to do better and greater. So now I have 14 sound libraries and I have maybe 15 more in the making. And I have 200 ideas for more sound libraries. Wow. But it's a long step, like you said it's maybe more difficult than we think it can be. I mean, if I talk to uh, someone on the street and I say, okay, I record sound and I do it for a living, they say, oh, it sounds really easy. Mm -hmm. It's like taking a picture, kind of. But there are really more doing this because we're doing it for professionals. So there are some standards of quality that is out for. And yeah, we have metadata that we need to have sounds that have worth and value. 
I think that more important in this is that you can take your iPhone and record a sound and put it online. I will do it in 30 seconds, <laughs> okay? But to do it professionally, it's really something that takes a lot of energy, a lot of thinking into it. For example, I'm doing right now, I'm doing a sound library that I've been planned to release two weeks ago, and I'm still working on it because there are more stuff going on. And like Martin say, it's always your trying to complete your sound and you can always do more do more yeah so i guess i will release this one by the next days i hope <laughs> i like the idea that the sounds have more value sort of the more work that you put into packaging and getting the metadata right yeah the more valuable that is to the person on the end because i know mm -hmm. sometimes we'll buy one sound because i really need it right now and then the next time you go back and you're like i know i have it but it didn't get into the library right or it doesn't have the right name and I don't know the what happened to is it. the thing. That's, yeah. a, that's a good point. I'm not good at everything. I think I'm good at some things. For example, metadata, I, I know it's a big monster. English is not my first language. But metadata in my libraries, I ask help Paul Cole and he gave me a lot of help with that and we did it in English. And I mean, there are big chunks. Recording is one chunk, editing is another, sound design is another, you do design category, and metadata is another monster. Marketing after, so many things. Stefan, he's doing a lot of things. He's doing the programming in your website. Uh, I don't know how do you do that, but I have collaborators that I think it's important just to yeah. keep quality at the highest. And this is an interesting idea. There's so many people working who, it's not their first language, it's not their working language, and yet it's probably the language that all of the sound effects libraries are defaulting to. That must be challenging. Well, actually, sure my that... sound libraries are bilingual. Okay, great. As well as my site. Well, first we decide to do it either in French or English as a start. And then we have some sort of robot translator using Google Translator in some sort of formula that produces translation. And after that, we have to kind of play around with some of the changes. When we realize that a word, oh no, oh, they translated this word with this. How stupid this is. This is a bus. So we have to write bus. Oh, replace this by that, replace this by that, replace. And after 20 minutes, you look at it, you say, okay, that's good now. You have two versions of your sounds? No, no, no. Every sound has two definitions in it. I put the French translation into the notes field okay. of the sound minor. Everybody has told me how, how crazy I was, so I'm not surprised. <laughs> I, and I, I maybe you were among those ones, Wait, Michelle, uh, I remember. For me, it was a matter of to stand for your principles. For Obviously, English is a must. Obviously, we can't sell sounds if it's not in English. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I want to keep the French. It's not that complicated to do, and I most of the time I already did it. So it's just a matter of just offering it to the clients as well. That's an awesome thing. As a sound editor, when I'm searching for a sound effect, I want to be more precise and give more possibility to find the ambience. By example, it's the motorcycle, moto, moped, motorbike. So I decline all those words in the keyword. and Synonyms? Yeah, because for me, sometimes, I'm looking for a scooter and if I'm not typing Muppet I don't find the scooters <laughs> yeah, or it's like that yeah. so I decide to it's it's why it's a long process but for me it's very important to give the possibility to the person to find the sound well we mentioned this earlier but the value of a sound the fact that when it has a metadata it's more valuable how yes. come is that it's because when we buy sounds we have a bank of sounds so when, as a sound designer we have hundreds of thousands of sounds so the word we're we're going to type in our search engine is actually going to be the key to our search 
So the more precise the definition is, the more precise our sound design can be because we can say winter, snow, and we can combine words together. So if we have three words together, we say, okay, I want this, 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 and then I want to see the result. <laughs> so you get more precise searching so that instead of finding 500 crickets, you'll end up having 10 because you combine some wording. So the value of a sound is actually half of it is the definition. Yeah. The yeah. definition, because if you, you want to look for your sound, but you don't remember the name you, you used. It's a funny thing I bought in the special three pack on a sound effect. And I listened to the demo and looked to the PDF, the metadata list. Yeah, yeah. And I realized, oh, it's enough sound and it's a good price. So I bought it and I dragged the folder in my sound miner. And <laughs> it's only fine name, nothing in the other, oh. uh, not for the three pack I bought, but one for sure. And at the same time, I don't have the name of the library and the designer. So finally, I add it oh, <laughs> for yeah. me to know, because I know the sound I want, I need to use it today, now. But maybe later, if I want to find it again, I have only exactly. the fine name and it's all defined by number and very small word mm -hmm. in the fine name. So I experienced the same things as you did. And I was so surprised. You have a sound, it has a definition, but nowhere, even in definition, the fine name, anywhere, there's the name of the manufacturer. Mm -hmm. So the person sells a sound, but there's no sign of who owns it. People, they forget or they think it's less important. I don't know, no. but it's dangerous in a way because you end up selling sounds mm -hmm. that people are using, but they don't know it's you, basically. Yeah, but because most of the time I like a kind of sound and I'm typing and searching on the web the other library this person yeah. did before. Sometimes I like to buy it from them directly from their own website. Yeah. That's a great point. I'm always yeah. doing that. Sonus puts out, I guess it's around December every year, they put out a free pack where almost everything on it gives five sounds or something. And the concept is that it's an ad. You download these and if you like them, I find that for all the ones that I love, there's anti-ads in them because there's libraries, as you say, just a file name. And I'm like, well, I'm never buying that because I don't have the time to fill out all the metadata myself. I'll go record it myself in that situation. But yeah, the metadata is so important. Like, I don't produce libraries, but as the end user, the metadata is, you were saying it's almost as important as the actual sound. It might be more important because you'll never hear the sound without the metadata. Like it can have an amazing sound that fits perfectly, but if I never find it, who cares? It takes more time to write the metadata than to record the sound. Definitely. So, <laughs> so, right. so let's say you record a five minute sound. You'll take maybe 10 minutes to just write the definition. <laughs> <laughs> yes, 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 yes. And so it's a lot of time. It's a lot of time, yeah. The other day, I saw a survey by someone that is selling sound. This guy did a survey on Facebook and he asked people, do you use metadata? And I was surprised. I saw maybe it was 60% that don't use metadata. Wow. Just use the file name. But there's a few problems related to metadata. Yeah, well, they have to be using the right program. We've been talking about SoundMiner, but SoundMiner's fields are proprietary. So they're not readable by 
other programs. Mm -hmm. So depending if you have other softwares, yeah, you need to adapt. Sometimes that's why people yeah. have put all their definition into the file name and description because file name and descriptions are part of the broadcast wave metadata, which is available for mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah. But it's difficult because then when you have access to just a few fields, what do you do? Yeah. If you don't have SoundMiner, you don't have access to location, microphone, record type, things like this, source, yeah, so it'd be good if eventually, oh well, there's a cat here. There's a cat in the house. That's so a beautiful sound. Let's, let's get record, another mic let's up. And... The sound. <laughs> I've been wanting to, to do a sound library with this cat, but it's being so personal with me that working with my cat, I don't know, it's... Uh, but she has a lot of, she makes she a lot of sound. strong opinions about metadata too. <laughs> what do you use for software? Soundminer. Soundminer? Yeah. Yeah, although my boss uses DigiDesign. He searches our libraries using the DigiDesign search, and he's crazy. Yeah. No, 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 no. I was really lucky. I worked in Ottawa at a studio for a year. I went up there to work on a specific project, and the studio that I was working within, the owner of its brother was best friends with the guy who developed SoundMiner. So he got on SoundMiner super early, and I went there and started using it and fell in love with it because I was using mTools before that. Did anyone ever deal with mTools? No, mTools not. mTools was not ideal. <laughs> Okay. Uh, but it was what we had at that time. So it was based on FileMaker. And oh my God, FileMaker. Yeah, and it was what we had. And then SoundMiner came out and it was just like... And now there's other things, Basshead, even that Soundly one that's out now. Has anyone tried Soundly? Yeah, like for free slash $14 a month, it's pretty amazing for what it can do. But yeah, so... I'll go get kill the... <laughs> <laughs> free cat sound effects with this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Me for many years, I, I drag all my library in the iTunes yeah. and I search like that. But I have after that to find in the folder. Oh, yeah, yeah. The track. To find it. Yeah. Oh, my God. Now I'm doing sound editing full time. The aspect that SoundMiner has been stronger than the other software was with the batch metadata application with the admin mm -hmm. window. These were the things that SoundMiner was doing that the others had kind of more difficulties. So hopefully in the future we will have some solutions also because one of the problems with SoundMiner is that once we go with it, we have to stick with it. It's difficult to kind of change. Sad to say, but they're really expensive as well. They're like more expensive than the Pro Tools. Yeah. So it's kind mm -hmm. of hard to understand really why it's so expensive. So I, I understand people that they try to go somewhere else. Yeah, but if you put all the information in the name and description, because that's in the metadata wrapper that Wave B-Wave files use, you can still do that and then also have everything in SoundMiner as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like yeah, it, yeah. you don't have to pick one or the other. So when I do see a library that I get and it's only got file name, as a SoundMiner user, that drives me bananas. And I feel like the answer is to put as much as you can in the file name description, but then you can also do everything else. Is that what most of you guys are doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you been using SoundMiner? I have one. Yeah. So that's what everybody's using then. Right now, I use uh, base hit, I love it, but then right now, some minor reasons. There's a lot of information in a sound file that we use, like location, I said it earlier, on rec type, microphone. So we, if we bring these all these informations into the 
description field, Maybe. it kind of builds yeah. up. But it's 155 characters. The definition field is okay because it's pretty large, but the more there's stuff, the harder it gets to actually see it. Yeah, no, I'm not saying put everything in the description field. I'm saying put your description in, but then also fill out all those other. Yeah, yeah because yeah. the file name have to be shorter in the timeline, in the pro tool when you import it. Yeah. You don't want to have like too and long filing. To the, the exactly, that's mixing. another thing. You, you go to the sound mixing, the mixer don't know what is. It's always start like, ambience and the number and you don't know what kind of ambience it is. is it? But the final needs to have some sort of a serial number to it too because you don't want to have two sounds that are named the same so the best way I found to make sure that there were no sounds that would be named the same is to have a serial number that actually makes it different every time. Mm -hmm. So the file name has some sort of incremental kind of thing so that we kind of can see it. And Lately I tend to avoid the numbering and yeah. put instead adjectives. For example, impact, I will put short or loud or even something more evocative. But I have a question. Inside the metadata, how do you get accurate for your wordings? Because it's great to put a lot of information, but then when you are on the field for the category or subcategory, you have to be really accurate and less long description. It has to be precise words. Well, there's few stage of metadata on my part. I kind of answer to that as there's the way you write it the first time and it's not going to be the final. Uh -huh. It's just, just going to be what you write. But then after you end up having a lot of sounds and then you kind of play around to make it kind of format it to that collection. So you kind of try to use the same words uh -huh. for the same collections. So it's kind of a two, three step kind of thing. You can't do it the first time because you don't know the rest. Give it a name and then see how that name compares to another name in the same collection and distinguish the difference. Yeah. But then you also have to go to other libraries probably and see how other people are naming yep. things. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't want a library that had a naming convention that was too, you know, unique and quirky. That I know if I want the sound from that library, I have to enter this stupid word that that guy really likes to use a lot. <laughs> that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, but it's hard to know all the words that yeah. people use. Yeah. Because we're using sometimes other words. Yeah. And we won't know that people are using other words. So it's pretty difficult. So I think it's a task that we can aim at trying to be, but there's so much things to learn. I imagine that there are a lot of stuff in my metadata that could be better according to some other people that find more precise way to describe sounds. Today I described some sound from the No Preta Arab manifestation. So I started by category, it was like crowd, and subcategory for me was rally, riot, and manifestation. But I started by crowd. Why? Maybe, I don't know, in my head it's like that. Mm -hmm. For me it was crowd industry. Yep. So for me the first category is crowd. After that I have the description. That feels right to me. Yeah. As somebody, I, if I'm like looking that. for stuff like that, the first thing I'll write is crowd. The other thing that we mentioned earlier about people not putting who created it within the metadata is that can actually, for my brain, at least when I'm searching for stuff, for instance, Michael Raphael out of New York City has Rabbit Ears Audio, and he's got a couple rocket libraries, but I have lots of rockets that, you know, go all the way back to the Hanna-Barbera collection, you know, so I'm not just going to type rocket, but if I type rabbit rocket, 
I'm only going to get his.、Mm-hmm. And for instance, your Bonson is not going to be in anywhere else in my library. So Bonson footstep, and there I'm into your stomps. Narrows it down right yeah, away. It, yeah. So when I'm looking for something specific like that, that's another reason why it's important to fill out that metadata、sure. as the end user, because people get to things different ways. Because there's some wording, there's a lexic of words of sounds, squeaks, squeals, flash, flares, and things like that that we learn as we go. And we know what it means in terms of sound, and when we hear it, we can actually put that word whenever we search for it after we find it. But that's ideally we need to do that. Pro Sound Effects, which is also based out of New York City, one of the larger companies selling sound effects online right now, and they have a bible. When they acquire a library, that whoever they're buying it from has to take their bible of description and make all of their metadata match that. Me,、so. I have a bible. You have it? I created with my collaborator. Yeah, I, I try to follow it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But that, that's an interesting initiative because it is a situation now where different people are doing things so differently that I wonder if it is even a thing that can be merged into one way of thinking like that. Interesting, some kind of standardization for this. Yeah, exactly. We're creating around the world. What is the way? You know, it's interesting. I talked to someone at that company about how they were trying to do that, and I, I should maybe contact him again and see how it's working. <laughs> well, it's because as a seller, they're selling sounds, so they want to make sure. That their clients are gonna receive their sounds, and sounds are gonna be formatted, and it's not gonna be completely different from one set to the other. So it's gonna have something you're gonna recognize from one thing to the other. So it makes sense. It makes sense. I just don't know if it actually works, <laughs> like how practical it is, because it's such a wide thing. They're trying to get into a specific funnel. Have you used Reaper? I have used it for content creator. I think it's the best thing that happened in the last years. I'm not endorsed, but I love it. You can do so many things for exporting things, creating things, having multiple sessions open. I think it's more important that happened for me in the last five years. Everyone I just talk about because I'm excited all the time. And when I find people that use Reaper, we are brothers. You know. You work mostly in games, right? Because Reaper is way more popular in the gaming probably, world. Probably, probably. But I use Produce for twenty years, and right now I just see the things I can do with Reaper, and it's just crazy. And the guy from Lord of the Rings, David Farmer, he started using Reaper. He started putting things. I know big shots from the industry. They start taking notes because it's just crazy. You can script things. You can do a lot of things like more easy. Just for example, Stone Wars, seven thousand fights in one session. You do that in Pro Tools. Forget it. Anyway, I love Pro Tools, <laughs> but I, I hate the company behind.、Uh, the guy who did Reaper is the guy who invented Winamp. The player. There are five guys programming in New York in one studio, and they do the things they like. The things they think is correct. They do updates regularly. It's great. It's Super stable, never never go down. You know, I cannot believe people is not talking more about this. But、mm-hmm. I'm excited about this program because I'm some editor, and for do everything you can cut clips,、uh, crossfade, and automatically you can do a randomized thing for RMS for peak organized thing. It's just crazy. I've been、yeah. using Reaper in a sound library and Bisonic, and it was really useful. Something that I couldn't do with Pro Tools or any other. It was possible with Reaper because there's a lot of channel possibilities. You can root the channel the way you you want, and so. For Ambisonic, I found it it's really yeah, useful. Yeah.、Mm. I just like for a sound editor. For me, it's a dream. Like just having this thing. Like I don't know if you use some Forge. It just was cool. Like two clips, you want to crossfade, just like that. And after you can move the crossfade things like that. For example, five regions. You have another five there. You can align in one shot. Align the region. After start playing with the randomized things. For sound design, it's just great. It's just the possibilities are endless. I saw you can even enter a line of codes inside. If you go far, you can script things in Python. Just for sure. But I mean, just going for 
some editing, I mean, it's no going back. So maybe we can close this up by just going around. Okay, my name is Michel Marchand, my company is Bonson, and I just have four libraries for sale and one free. I'm really proud about Wings. I like Storms also, I'm really proud of that library. And I did another Rain Rivers and Waves. It's a lot of binaural recordings. And also I did another one, it's called Hockey 360. It's Ambien and just if you want to check it, it's Bonson.ca. Bonson.ca. Exactly, thank you. Okay. I'm a sound chick, so I create the sound chick sound effect library, so you can find it at soundchicksfx.com. And it's mostly ambience and soundscape around the world and from Montreal, Quebec, Canada too. Soundcheck.sfx.com. Martin? The first site I started to sell sounds was my own site, martinpinsonou.com. But since then, we've been concentrating more Sonomar, my company Sonomar. We've been pretty much working on 20, 25 new collections in the last wow. few years. Because one of the things we mentioned earlier is that it would be good to have a lot of sounds, not just a few. So we concentrated a lot on that. And we intend to release these new collections in the coming year, but on the company brand, not my own. So so it would be the brand Sonomar. Probably do some partnership with some distributors of sounds as well. So you should see a lot of it in the coming year. Sonomar.ca. Cool. So you can find my sounds on articulatedsounds.com, but also on uh, distributors, community-based distributors, like a sound effect or Sonis. I have now 14 sound libraries, a lot of ambiances with multiple formats, such as surround, and we are planning to do more. We are working on interfaces sound and also more ambiances, sounds from around the world also. I have a collection of sound from Equator that I will release in the next month and also sounds from Montreal. <laughs> I have 375 ambiances from Montreal because it's the 3 and 75 anniversary of Montreal oh, uh, that's this idea. year. That's yeah, good. <laughs> That's good marketing. <laughs> so articulatedsounds.com. Yeah. So thank you everybody for taking the time. Special thanks to Martin for letting us invade his home. Thanks everybody. Thanks to everyone who listens and participates in the show. Thanks to all of the amazing sound designers who got together with Tim and Teresa for this conversation. That's super cool. Thanks to Stacy Dupas for letting us bend and twist her voice in our bumpers. Follow the show at the Tonebenders on Twitter and go to ToneBendersPodcast.com to leave a comment. You can also support the podcast by shopping at ToneBendersPodcast.com slash Amazon or ToneBendersPodcast.com slash BH. Also, go to the website and grab the free files, all the cool stuff that everyone has so generously made available to our audience. It's, uh, it's great. So check it out. Yeah, and this show was guest edited by a, a volunteer that listens to the podcast. Thank you very much, James N. Finley. You can find him by heading to jamesnfindley.com. That's F-I-N-D-L-A-Y. Nice. See ya. Thanks for listening to Tone Vendors. You can find us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you listen on iTunes or Stitcher, please write us a review while you're there. To support the show, go to ToneVendorsPodcast.com and click through our Amazon link or leave us a tip. You can also download and listen to our entire show archive there and leave a comment on our site or on SoundCloud. Keep up to date by following at the Tone Vendors on Twitter or find Tone Vendors Podcast on Facebook and YouTube. Email us with your questions and ideas at info at tonevendorspodcast.com.